Welcome to the Readings Podcast, a celebration of books. I'm Nico Callaghan. In today's episode, a conversation with Hugh Mackay, social psychologist and best-selling author. Mackay's latest book, The Therapist, is a powerful and poignant story of deception, ambiguity, lust and love, and the challenge of living with the consequences of our actions. It is described as a domestic mystery, with a plotline that tenaciously holds our attention through secrets, twists, romance, and devastating acts of revenge. Mackay was interviewed by Reading's programming manager, Chris Gordon. Here's Chris. One of the greatest joys of looking after the events at Reading's is meeting authors and thought leaders and researchers often and constantly in my life. And if I'm lucky enough, as I am, with the one and only humor Kai, I get to meet these authors every 18 months or so when they have a new book out. And it means that over the years that I've been here at Readings that I develop extraordinary affection for some authors. And humor Kai, you are on my favourites list and always have been. You have centred your work around kindness and consideration, they're the two words that I would use to describe you. I mean, honestly, though, if you look you up, and I don't know whether you do this ever on the internet, there are pages and pages of the good work that you have done and pages and pages of descriptions. But if we had to sum it up, we could say Hugh Mackay, AO, is an Australian psychologist, a social researcher and a writer who founded the Australian quarterly research series, The Mackay Report, which later became the Impost Mackay Report. He had a weekly newspaper columnist for 25 years and he regularly appears on television and radio. Welcome and hello. Thank you very much, Christine. It's lovely to be back talking to you. And this time, of course, we're talking about fiction, so I just made it all up. You're quite prolific in your work, aren't you? You just keep writing and keep thinking. Well, I, I absolutely love writing. I mean, all my working life I've been writing research reports, you know, every few weeks, time to write another report. So I've always been used to deadlines and to writing what my work has been telling me. So when I stopped uh, doing hands-on research, uh, I had all this material and I started t- turning it into books and I really love writing. I enjoy the whole process uh, and, of course, it's wonderfully affirming when readers – I mean, the favourite thing that I ever hear from readers, particularly with nonfiction, is you explain us to ourselves and that's going to – to a researcher, that's kind of the greatest compliment you could hear So interesting that you've said that as one of the greatest compliments that you've heard because I wondered when I was reading The Therapist that even though the characters don't appear like you at all, Humakai, and your work, I did wonder if, in fact, the main character, the wonderful psychotherapist, Martha Elliott, this character in your book, I did wonder if some of her thoughts, some of her behaviour, her tendencies, her moral compass yes. was, was you. Very much so. In fact, Martha's my new almost best friend. I, I feel if I if I met her in the street, I'd recognise her. I haven't had this experience 
with the novel previously, Christine, I, I really got attached to this character. I mean, what you're saying is true, of course, but I think it might go even further. I think when a novelist creates characters that a reader finds convincing or authentic, I think those characters are always some facet of the writer. In my fiction, of course, I'm not, I mean, my imagination has been fueled over all these years by being a researcher. So all these thousands of Australians who've been generous enough to let me into their homes and tell me their life story, all those stories are there. And so there's a synthesis of all that stuff going on as part of who I am. And so when I create a character, and all of these characters are entirely imaginary. I mean, they're not based on someone I know. So the only possible place they can come from is my imagination. (laughs) So, yeah, they're informed by all these people that I've listened to, but they're also part of me. I mean, it's one of the th- it's an interesting question, Christine. One of the things that I feel about the difference between fiction and non-fiction is in a funny way, fiction is truer. Because with non-fiction, I'm reporting what people have told me. And that goes through the filter of them. I mean, I assume mostly people tell me the truth about their lives, but it has to be analysed and it has to be interpreted and conclusions have to be drawn from it. It's a research process. I'm interested in you saying that because it seems to me that in fiction, what you're saying right now is that you can explain the genesis of thoughts. And I know having been a fan of your work for, for many, many years, and having listened to you do a variety of interviews, TED Talks, reports, that you always come back to sort of three life lessons that you've learnt. This is something like that. Everyone is interesting. Everyone tries to be kind. Like, And kindness is something that can be influential, that you can you know, if you're kind to one person, you might lead on. You took that so far that you wrote pages and pages in a novel of the kindness revolution. So here with Martha, with this psychotherapist, this main character that this entire book is is set upon, this is your opportunity to explain the genesis of that, even through the different therapy practices, I thought. Yes. That's very true. I mean, there, there, there are a lot of things I love about Martha. I mean, she's a, I think she's a good person. Uh, you know, I think she does want to be kind. And, and she. So, those that are listening, Martha considers herself a psychotherapist. She's listening to people, but she also understands the benefit of alternative therapies. So often she gives people a bit of a foot rub if it seems appropriate. Yes. And I thought, because I have a little thing about feet and it's not a positive thing, I thought, you know, that's kind. That's a very kind gesture. Yeah, that's right. It also, would also get her drummed out of the psychological society <laughs> you know, if people knew about it. But, yeah, she, she's got this idea of the, the, the old religious word curate. She's got this idea of herself as a person interested in the care of souls. She yeah. loves the word curator of, yeah. a, of a museum or a gallery because, you know, she, the curator is responsible for preserving the soul of the collection. And she sees art as an expression of the soul, all that. So she sees herself in that way. She's she's passionate about caring 
for these souls. And she reminds one of her clients that the word psychology itself from the ancient Greek means the study of the soul. So she's got a very general view. She's got a, I mean, she talks about minds and hearts and souls, but she's got a very broad view of what the mind is. But therefore, as you say, she's interested in any kind of care that she thinks will help the healing process with a troubled or wounded or anxious or confused. We get deeply into some of those clients, and some of them, it's only women who get a foot massage. She doesn't try it with men, although she does get men to take their shoes off. Mm. And she gets them to centred on breathing, and yes. that was very interesting. So I wondered, for me, one of the interesting things about having someone like Martha be the main character in your book with everyone else going around it is that it did give you this opportunity to explore the different types of therapy that there are. But also I felt like it gave you a chance to talk about moral compasses. You have to sort of trust that a character that's going to take you on a journey has the same sort of moral compass as you. But here you are in the very typical Hugh Kai sort of style you actually make sure that we have to ponder that moral compass and Martha has to ponder it. Yes. I imagine that was a very deliberate move for you as a novelist, that when you were writing this, you understood that at some point there was going to be the reveal. And we won't reveal it now because we want everyone to read it. Yes, yes, yes. We We won't say what it is. But, no, you're absolutely right, Christine. But there are a lot of things I like about Martha, but two things in particular. One is... There are plenty of shadows in her life. There's plenty of dark stuff in her past, stuff that she doesn't want her clients to know about, although, in fact, one one client confronts her with this and says, you know, I'm not just interested in someone who's good at their job. Are they good at their life? She's got some pretty dark secrets. So she's fully human. You know, she's not some kind of saint. But the other thing, as you say, is that towards the end of the book, she's confronted by a massive moral dilemma and she really can't work it out on her own and she confides in her professional colleague Rob who is another person I I grew to like as the book unfolded so it's one of those very thorny moral dilemmas what's tricky about the way she ultimately resolves this moral dilemma is that she is absolutely opposed to telling lies and so on but in order to resolve the dilemma she has to do something that she doesn't herself approve of Mm. and that's a very I think that's quite a challenging thing for us all to get our heads around and yet it seems to make perfect sense when she executes it so it turns out well I think we can say that much. So why did you write this novel? Did you want a novel that could portray humanity with all its flaws? Yes, absolutely. And I think choosing a therapist, a psychotherapist, gave me the opportunity to have a number. I mean, there are four of her clients that we really, we get deeply inside their lives and they're troubled people. I mean, at one point her colleague Rob says, the two people you should never ask about the state of the world are psychologists and journalists because they're dealing with the rough stuff. I thought that it was terrific that you had brought in this concept of how lonely some people are. And I thought that was very important because I actually believe just by talking to people in the beautiful bookshops of readings that the people are becoming lonelier, even though we're connecting in all these different ways, that actually at the moment there's a bit of a a lonely pandemic going on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, these two psychotherapists in partnership, Martha and Rob, they discuss this and say, and she says to him, virtually everyone who comes here is suffering to some extent from loneliness. And, and just putting the researcher hat back on for a moment, a survey conducted before the pandemic, a national survey of loneliness conducted by the Australian Psychological Society and Swinburne Uni, found that 25% of Australian adults report feeling lonely most of the time. 30% for the 18 to 25 age group, who of course are, as you say, more connected than ever before, but they're not getting enough eye contact. They're not getting enough face-to-face time. So I think it's fair to say many psychologists are now saying loneliness is our number one public health issue eclipsing obesity because there are so many health consequences, negative consequences that flow from being lonely. So that's one of the reasons why Martha is so soft in her approach. She knows that these people in their various, even even a couple of them who are married are suffering from loneliness in the marriage. So we've talked about loneliness as one of the sort of the themes, if you like, that Martha is dealing with. When you were writing this book, when you decided to write about Martha and Rob and Samantha, Martha's daughter, how did you plot it? Did you say, right, here's Martha in the middle. She's got a practice with Rob. She's got a daughter, Samantha. These are the characters or these are the issues that I wanted to raise? Which did you well, go for? It was a bit of, it was a bit of both because I knew the sort of issues that I wanted to explore, but I did start then with all that in my head. I did something I've never done before with a novel. I plotted the the chapters. I, I knew I, I wanted to start with Martha reflecting as she did and then I wanted to introduce a client and then you know, so almost every second chapter is a very intense session in Martha's consulting room, and then there's other stuff going on in Martha's life. So it was a very complicated plot for me. So I, I needed to get a great big whiteboard and actually figure out what the sequence of these chapters would have to be in order for me to bring it all together. And because in the end, there are there are links between almost all these characters which tie it together because it's a more complicated. A sort of a two-sided story, the professional life and the personal life, and more characters than I would normally have, I, I really felt I couldn't just do it in my head. I needed to lay it out. You know, I actually was delighted to hear that. It makes me feel like anything is possible if Hugh Mackay had to make a <laughs> mind map of his novel. A couple of things that I did want to raise with you, because I know that we've talked about the loneliness and we've talked about the power imbalances, sort of these different issues and moral compasses, but also you did this terrific example with Rob, I thought, of what romantic love is and what is dependable love and what is sustainable love. Yes. For want of yes. a better expression. Again, I imagine it, it was a deliberate move for you to break down to mythologies around relationships. Mm. Is, it, is that right? Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, and to bring out that very point that there are particularly romances in the beginning of a relationship that are so intense, so lustful, so, <laughs> That's right. that, so that, that it feels as though this is a great life-changing experiment and you know, Rob thinks about this this woman that he's completely obsessed by, besotted by. But I mean, not it sounds like he, any of us would be, to be fair. She yeah. sounds glorious. Yeah. A pain, 
that Gloria. And I mean, Martha's had some disasters in her own past. Uh, she is on her own as we go through this novel. But there are a couple of points where she reflects with gratitude on the fact that she too was swept away a couple of times in her life. And so she's experienced it. So when she finds clients who are behaving like idiots, <laughs> she, I was like that. Uh, you know, this is not weird to me. I know what they're. I know what they're talking about. And I think. Well, I mean, you're known for the notion of kindness, but also for resilience. I mean, that's something that you have talked about, and every day is another act of resilience in a way. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yes. yeah. So what I was interested in is what I was thinking about is that there you are, you've written this novel that is so clearly identifying some of the issues that are raised for our community, and I wondered why you needed to also make this what I would describe as quite a suspenseful novel. Things could have gone terribly wrong. I needed to find out what happened. And that's not that's not your normal practice, Hirakai. You're a this this was a this was a change, I thought, in the yes. way that you were writing. Yes. Well, my publisher described it as a psychological thriller. Uh, and that was a very deliberate part of the point of what I was writing, that there were there was a particular client playing mind games with Martha. Yeah, there is. And that's that's just an example of what many of us do in our in our normal life, not, not just with a therapist, but it also raised the question of how authentic, I mean, this is the researcher's nightmare as well as the psychotherapist's nightmare. Are people telling me the truth? Are they telling me what's really happening, what's really going on, and I'm only getting one side of the story? Martha reflects on this. At one point she says, you know, when a client, I, I only hear the client side of the story, even though they're usually talking about someone else, often a partner, and I don't ever hear that side of the story unless they come as a couple. Uh, so she says sometimes when a client leaves the room, I say, yes, and what else? You know, and she says, I sometimes feel as if I'm overwhelmed by all the things I don't hear. Well, that's the researcher's nightmare too, but it's compounded by sometimes what I'm hearing is a client wanting to recruit the therapist as a kind of sympathetic supporter. At one point, one of the clients quotes something that a, the ex-wife of a psychiatrist had said to him, and uh, that, that was something that the ex-wife of a psychiatrist actually said to me once, which was people who come looking for marriage guidance are usually in the situation of having already decided they want out and they're looking for help in how to figure out the exit strategy. Yeah. But they won't always say that. They won't say, I'm leaving the marriage, how can I do it? The client who is most difficult for Martha, who is the one playing most mind games, says you know, her husband is very jumpy about what, what she's doing, the way she's kind of manipulating Martha. And she said, well, you know, all the world's a stage. Men and women are merely players, all that stuff. You know, what about political spin? What about the cosmetics industry? It's all yeah. designed to make us look better than we are. Of course. Uh, so she's she's all in favour of misrepresentation, even though she's a very high-minded, self-righteous character. Um, I'll say no more about her. Yeah, we can't. No. So I've got a couple more questions for you. The first one is that uh, you have written your whole life, Hugh. Like I, I can't imagine you not making sense of the world through the art form of writing. That's who you are. You're a communicator. 
Are you planning your next novel? Yes. I love this. I love this. I love it. You're fantastic. <laughs> of course. Of course you are. Uh, Hugh McKay, I mean, is, is it bad to say that you're you're in your 80s, you've still got so much more to give, there's still another novel on its way? Yeah. I can't stop. I'm st- starting to write also for non-fiction some reflective essays just revisiting some of the themes, some of the themes you've mentioned tonight, themes of my work, having a fresher and perhaps feistier look at some of those. Uh, but there's also then after that a novel. And then I think it'll probably be time to stop, but I'll see how I feel. I don't think so. I, mean, I can't imagine someone like you ever stopping because what I do know about following your work for so many years is that you're one of those people that is just curious. There's nothing that you can do about it. You're just a curious man. <laughs> not not everyone finds that attractive, by the way. But oh, it, really? But it, but it is true. It is true. I mean, I am, I am absolutely fascinated by everybody's story and I wish I was going to be around for another 50 years to see how this is all going to turn out at the moment because every stage in our social development is fascinating. Yeah. I mean, The Therapist is a book I couldn't have written 30 years ago because yeah. the sort of social issues that were happening were different. Mm. So it is very, it is very, I think, very contemporary. It is very contemporary. I, I was, yeah, I, I really did feel like that you were actually writing about my, myself and, and so many of my friends, actually. Yeah. You, so there you are, you're still writing a novel and a, a nonfiction. As you have been writing now for, for decades, do you think that you are, are you getting impatient? Are you getting impatient with the way that it's all turning out or you're feeling... No, not at all. I mean, I'm I get pessimistic. So I'm I'm broadly optimistic mm. because I think the human species is a wonderful species to belong to in our long term history. Uh, in fact, I, I recently came across some a paper written by some archaeologists who said if you want to know, thirty two thousand years ago there was a major cataclysmic climatic event, a big climate change event on the planet, and at that time there were five species of humans. Homo sapiens, Neanderthals, Homo erectus, a couple of others I can't remember. Only Homo sapiens survived. Mm. Why did we survive? The paper that I was reading was called The Survival of the Kindest because what what these archaeologists concluded was it was only Homo sapiens who figured out how to cooperate um, by caring for each other, and that's what – and that's the story in 2023, that we are inherently – Good guys, you know, we, we we belong to each other. We all exist in this shimmering web of interconnectedness. We sometimes forget about that and get obsessed with how we're different from everybody else, but most of our differences, if they're not trivial, then they're not the most significant thing about us. The most significant thing about you and me is that we share a common humanity mm. and we recognise that in each other. It's a tragedy when people don't recognise it, when they get totally obsessed with me, how I'm different, my gender, my ethnicity, my religion, my politics, whatever it is, look how special and different I am. We're all special and different, but that's not the big story. The big story is we're all human. And this species has done remarkably well in spite of all the stupid mistakes that we keep on making. We keep coming back from the brink, you know, kindness wins. 
I think that feels like a perfect note to finish on. Here, Mackay, I uh, could talk to you for hours. I'm so pleased to have access to your work, fiction and non-fiction. I'm so delighted that I have understood and I hope been part of your kindness revolution, actually. That's what I do aspire to every day. That's because of you. The Therapist is a novel that you will read quickly. You will read it and consider those around you. You will perhaps feel more comfortable going to see a therapist, knowing that we're all just doing the best that we can. Humakai, I enjoyed reading The Therapist. Congratulations on your novel. I'm so looking forward to your next book. I can't even imagine what the title will be, but I'm pleased to imagine you with a whiteboard creating dashes here and circles there, issues that will make us feel like that we're just like everyone else. I greatly appreciate your support, especially for my fiction, and I look forward to talking to you again. Good night, my friend. Good night. Therapist is available from all reading stores and from our website, where you can stream previous episodes of the Readings Podcast. You'll also find all kinds of other recommendations, great books, music, film, and TV. You can also sign up to e-news or to receive our free monthly newsletter, The Readings Monthly. The Readings Podcast is produced by me, Nico Callaghan. The show's music is by Tom Hoskins. All episodes of this show are recorded and produced on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to acknowledge traditional owners of this land and pay my earnest respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you.